Happy Easter, everybody. Why don't you turn to someone and say, he is risen. Amen, amen. Today we're here to uh, celebrate uh, Jesus resurrecting from the dead. Uh, This is the cornerstone of our faith, and actually it's the cornerstone of history. You know, Jesus' birth marks the the split in in time from B.C. to A.D., but actually his death is actually what signifies the real shift in history. So today we're going to look at an account of Jesus' resurrection. So... uh, If you have your Bibles, we'll have it on the screen, too, if you're able to see it. Uh, In Mark chapter 16, we're going to read Mark's account of Jesus' resurrection. So Mark chapter 16, verse 1, it says, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So when we look at this account, we can notice a few different things. First, when we looked at this first day of the week, which is Sunday. Sunday is the first day of the week uh, in the Jewish Jewish system. Uh, So this is Sunday. They are going out very early, very first thing in the morning. And the reason they're doing that is because after someone has died, you're supposed to go and anoint their body and bring all the different spices to anoint their body immediately after. But in Jesus' case, he was crucified on Friday right before the Sabbath. So after he was placed in the tomb, the Sabbath had begun. Okay, so there weren't they're law-abiding, faithful Jews. They're not going to go on the Sabbath. So they wait Saturday. They wait all day Saturday on the Sabbath. They wait until the Sabbath is finished. And when the Sabbath is done, early in the morning, at first break of dawn, they go to the tomb. Now, when you go to the tomb, they see that he is risen. And one of the things that we want to see about this account is that his resurrection was a surprise. It was a surprise. It was a surprise to everybody. You can tell the women were surprised. How do we know that the women were surprised? Why are they going to the tomb? They're going to the tomb to anoint his body. They're expecting his body to be dead and be buried there. They were not expecting Jesus to be raised again from the dead. Even though in verse 7, he had told them many times on many accounts that he was going to rise again from the dead on the third day. But the women did not go there expecting Jesus to be risen. If you look also at verse 7, the, the angel there tells the women, go tell his disciples Okay, and I really want to point out that the women there were also disciples. Okay, so go tell the male disciples, the main 11, because Judas was already gone, but the main 11, go tell them that Jesus was risen. Okay, so let's look at what happens when Jesus goes to Galilee. So notice that they're in Galilee. They're not even in, in Jerusalem. Okay, so they're in Galilee. And in Luke 24, we see Jesus coming and making his appearance to the disciples. 
Look at the account says in verse 36, it says, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They, they were startled and frightened, thinking that they had saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your mind? Okay, so when we look at Jesus appearing to the disciples, what happens? First, they see Jesus bodily appearing before them, and they think it's a ghost. Okay, they're so unbelieving. They don't really believe that Jesus could actually physically be there, so they would be more apt to believe a ghost is there than Jesus' body is resurrected and standing in front of them. So at first, they thought it was a ghost. Jesus keeps talking with them. They are surprised, and the text says they are troubled, and they have doubts in their mind. They have doubts in their mind. So the first thing I wanted to point out is, I think it's easy for us reading here, you know, thousands of years later, it's easy for us to read this and say, why are they so doubtful? Jesus told them how many times that he was going to rise. But think about it. Think about if this was you. Think about if someone close to you said, you know, I'm going to this place in this city and I'm going to die, but don't worry. Third, third day, I'm going to rise again from the dead. Would you believe them? Would you believe them or would you think they're crazy? Would you believe that this was actually going to happen? And when it did happen, would you actually believe it? I remember um, I was at a retreat. Uh, my previous church was a church plant. And so it was actually our first retreat that we ever did. And uh, I was at this retreat and we had a guest speaker from Hawaii. He was coming in and he was uh, giving the messages for the retreat. And I, want, I remember one particular night, they had the evening session, and then he was speaking. And to the, honestly, I don't know what he spoke about. I don't remember anything about the message. But what I do remember is after he gave the message, he uh, had some time where he wanted to minister to people. He wanted to pray for people. Okay, so he asked people if anything's going on, if anything's troubling you, if any, you need prayer to come up for prayer. Okay, so my kids were really young. Yeah, my daughter Eden was just a baby and my son was like a toddler. So I actually had to go up to the hotel room to see if my wife is okay, see if they're all right. So I left. So I left the hotel. We're in, we're in a hotel. So I left the lobby area and I went up to my room. Okay, so I kind of just see if they're all settled in, getting ready for bed, da, da, da. Then I come back down. And when I come back down, there's all this commotion going on in the lobby, in, inside the, the conference room. And I'm like, what is going on? There's like this big huddle crowd of like 15 to 20 people. They're all in this circle. And I'm going, what is happening? What did I just miss by going upstairs, right? So I go back downstairs and then I go and look what's happening in the center. And in the middle is our, our keyboard player for our worship team. Okay, her name is Sujin. Okay, so Sujin was in the middle there and it was the weirdest thing. Okay, so she was sitting in the middle and then... Uh, they were covering one of her ears and then talking to her. Okay, just to give you some context, she was deaf in one ear, completely deaf in one ear. So she was born that way, uh, born deaf in one side. And when she was when she was very young, they you know diagnosed her. They tried to get her a hearing aid, but they could not getting a hearing could not have her uh, hear from a hearing aid because it was completely dead. The nerve was completely dead, so she had no hearing aid, no hearing on one side. Okay, so they were covering her good ear, and then they were talking to her. And then she was saying, I can hear you. And then she's like repeating what they said. I'm like, oh my goodness, what has happened? So I just talked to some people around there, and they're saying, yeah, they were praying for her to be healed 
for her hearing to recover. And so now they're testing to see if it happened, right? So they're testing and testing and testing, and she keeps repeating. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, is she, like, reading their lips or what? What's going on? And that, then it was really cool. It was like after that, she uh, calls her mom. And she calls her mom and tells her, I can hear. I'm talking to you from, I don't know if it was the right side or the left, but I'm talking to you from my ear that I can't, I could never hear from for the first time in my life. And I can hear you. I can hear what you're saying, you know? And then she starts crying. You know, when I witnessed that, I was firsthand witness. I saw it right in front of my eyes. You know what my reaction was? I saw it, but I couldn't believe it. I saw it, and I still doubt it. I felt like the disciples in this passage. I witnessed a miracle. God brought hearing to this woman who was deaf since childbirth that she can actually hear, and I couldn't believe it. Honestly, I couldn't believe it. I said, what? I, I can't believe what I'm just seeing. And I was thinking about it. I was thinking, okay, what? trying to think logically. Like, I know this person, right? I have friends with this person. I've known this person for probably more than 15 years, I know they're not, she's not trying to trick us or deceive us or pull a fast one on us. I know that she's telling the truth. Yet, I still couldn't believe. I couldn't believe that this miracle had happened right in front of my eyes. It's funny, after that, she was kind of just joking with us and saying like, you know, whenever she's at a retreat and she has a roommate, uh, it didn't matter if the new roommate was noisy or snored because she would just put her head on, the, on her good ear and then she couldn't hear anything. And she was laughing. I was like, oh, I can't do that anymore, right? And so they're all joking and laughing. But I was just sitting there thinking, man, I have unbelief that I didn't even know existed. And it really surprised me. When we look at the account of Jesus' resurrection, they were in disbelief. Unbelief. They were surprised. They were doubting. They were troubled. What can we draw from this? We can draw from this is that doesn't stop God from working. Our unbelief, our lack of faith does not stop God from working. You could be facing that in your own life and having difficulties with your own faith and about where you are and how much you believe and how much you don't believe and and where you are in thinking about him and his goodness and his ability to work miracles in your own life and to work and to do miraculous things in your own life and you could be like me who would see it with their own eyes and and witness those things and yet still have unbelief if that's your situation if that's your case take heart from what we see in this account the women at the tomb, they were unbelieving. Jesus' own disciples that were with him for three, three plus years and witnessed countless amount of miracles, still unbelieving. Yet, God still worked. God was still active. God was still working in their midst. God can work despite our lack of belief. God is not dependent on us. We are dependent on him. He's not dependent on us. Even if our faith seems distant, even if our heart feels far, that doesn't stop God from working. He's faithful. That's because that's who he is. That's his character. He can't be anything else but faithful. 
God is working. God is still working in your life right now. Even if you feel far, even if you feel distant, even if you have doubts, even throughout this long, long year, your faith has gotten really, really weak and you feel discouraged by that, take heart today. God can still work and he does still work. That he's sovereign, that he's God. He can work despite our lack of belief our lack of faith, our lack of faithfulness. God is not hindered by that. He can work through those things. Now, having said all that, I really do believe that this is God's contingency plan. This is not his first choice to work despite our disbelief. He wants us to believe, right? That's his desire. He wants us to to be in line with him and to trust him and to believe in him and to honor him. Let's go back and look at the story again. Let's actually look at the women at the, at the tomb again. In Mark 16, it says, When the Sabbath was over, where Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Okay, in verse 1, they're going as an act of worship. They're going to honor Jesus. Even though Jesus has died, they still wants to demonstrate their heart and de- devotion to Jesus. In contrast to the other disciples, they left. They're not here. They're not present. They're in Galilee. But yet these women gathered here stayed and remained. They didn't allow Jesus' death to overwhelm them so that they didn't have devotion to him and love for him and worship for him. They desired to remain and to stay. They demonstrated faith. Look at verse 2. It says, very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. Verse 3, then they asked each other, who will roll away the stone? Okay, so if you're not familiar with with the the burial for this situation, that, that Jesus would have been buried in this cave. It's like a cave. And it's not a small cave where you have to crawl on the ground. It's a cave where they can walk in. So you can imagine the mouth of the cave. It's really big. This big enough for a human to go and to walk inside. And so for a stone to be big enough to cover that entire mouth of the cave, it's a large stone. And that's why the text says... From the entrance, that who they're asking this question, who's going to roll away the stone? Which tells me what? They're not deterred even by the stone. They know that the stone is there. They know this obstacle is there. Does that prevent them from going? They're like thinking, you know, we really want to anoint Jesus' body. We really want to come and to worship and honor him. But there's this giant stone there. How are we going to enter the cave? The text doesn't mention, but other accounts do. There's a Roman guard there. There's guards protecting the tomb as well. There's multiple guards. We don't, the text doesn't say how many guards, but a typical Roman guard, okay, a typical Roman guard has 16 in a unit. Okay, if this is a typical Roman guard, they have 16 guards at the tomb along with this giant stone. Does that deter the women from coming to worship? It doesn't. They're compelled to worship. This was Jesus. This was the one that we loved, the one that loved us. We have to go worship. We have to go worship. I remember there was a, a friend of our friend of ours that um, was going through some health problems, and um, his basically his kidney was failing, 
and he was uh, going through all of these different uh, medications and different things and visiting so many different doctors. If you've ever had this or know people that have had different chronic health problems, you know like the weight it takes, right? It's just constant going and visiting doctors and wondering and praying and seeking and that was him. He was trying to be faithful and his his wife was uh, like caring for him and they were constantly asking for prayer and then his church we were like praying and interceding for him and he was going to other people other people that would come and to pray and ask for healing from the Lord and uh, I remember there's one particular Sunday it was just right in the middle of this and actually it's when things were getting worse and um, they came to the realization that he's going to need a transplant or he's not going to make it Right? All the things that they had tried, all the things that they have uh, tried to do in terms of medication or doctors, it, was, it wasn't working. And I remember one particular Sunday we were at church and, um, you know, at our service, you know, we have this kind of open side, open thing in front uh, where people can come if they wanted during worship. And I remember during the, the closing worship of that service, uh, my friend went up there. And I remember him up there, and it was a song, Blessed Be the Name. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. And then it says, you give and take away. You give and take away. But my heart will choose to say, blessed be your name. And, you know, I, didn't, I wasn't singing. I was watching my friend. And my friend had his eyes closed. He was standing up. Front. It didn't matter who was looking at him, and he was singing those words. You give and take away. You give and you take away. But my heart will choose to say, blessed be your name. Can I tell you just how much that touched my heart to see him? To see him when he was going through, and I knew everything that he was going through. And all the things that his family was enduring. And for him to worship, to say, you give and take away. But my heart will choose to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's what these women were doing. They were, despite the tragedy, despite what they were going through, despite the death of the one that they loved and the one they followed and adored, I must worship. I must go anoint the body of Jesus. I know there's a huge stone. I don't know how it's going to roll away. I know that they sent a Roman guards to come in to guard the tomb. Yet I need to go. We need to go and we need to worship. When we look at this account, I think that we can see no matter what we're carrying, we can come to the Lord. And I think that's one of the important things, and we talked about it last week when we talked about emotions and loving God through our emotions, is don't ignore the things that you're going through. Be honest with God. Tell Him all the emotions that you're going through. Even if it's hard, even if it's difficult, even if it's really gut-wrenching, tell the Lord those things. But then choose in your own will to say, but I want to still bless you. I want to still worship you. When we look at the women in this account, the women were doing that. They were coming and displaying that. And I don't want it to be lost on you what the significance it is having these women at the tomb being the first eyewitnesses. 
you know, this women, they were undervalued in society. In fact, this is a patriarchal society where women were very low on the, on the totem pole, right? They were at the very bottom. In fact, in the Jewish court, a woman's testimony was not allowed. That's how much their testimony was invalid. In a Jewish court, if you would have the women, they have to have two or three witnesses, especially on the higher cases. If one of those were women, they didn't count as one of the two or the three. That was the state of the culture that Jesus was uh, happening right now, that they would come and they would be the first witnesses. When you look at this account, you can tell a few things. One, you can tell about the authenticity of this account. This was not manufactured and made up. If it was, they would not have women be the first eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection and all of those things falling upon the women. No, this is what actually happened. They're telling it as it was because if they were trying to fabricate it and get people to believe some kind of myth, they would not come up with this. This culture, that would not be okay. This would not be accepted. The reason they wrote it is because that's what happened. The reason it happened this way, I believe, because Jesus was raising up women. Jesus was raising up the value of women. And in this day when it's so, uh, things in society are all about the marginalized and those that are being pushed aside and about their rights, you can see that Jesus was countercultural here. That he was for those that were oppressed, those that were low, those who were marginalized. And I think his message is more relevant than ever that we see today. The first witnesses were women. They got to witness it because they stayed. The other 11 disciples, they didn't get to take part in this. They didn't get to be a part of this first witnessing of Jesus. They weren't the one, first ones to see the women were. And why were the women blessed in that way? Why will we always read this account and always look at them for as long as history comes? Because they stayed. They stayed. That no matter how hard it gets, that you remain, you persevere, and you stay. Like we said before in the first point, God can work despite those things. But this is God's heart and desire. He wants us to stay and remain, to stay true and to worship him. Let's look at the final, final thing in verses 6 and 7. Okay, in verses 6 and 7, uh, this is the angel talking to the women. He said, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Okay, when we look at verse 6 in particular, we look at things that could easily be overlooked. He says, Jesus who you're looking for, he who was crucified, he is now risen. And you're like, okay, yeah, that's, that's the Easter story, all right, right? Good Friday, he was crucified, Easter he was risen. But what I want to point out, and it could be easily passed over, is that there is an order. We are celebrating today the resurrection of Jesus. But the resurrection doesn't happen unless Friday happens. Sunday doesn't happen without Friday. Resurrection doesn't happen without death. Why do you need resurrection if you don't have death? This is very important because we go through this in our own life. 
We experience loss and we experience things that we feel like have died. But in order for God to resurrect, things have to die. God doesn't wreck things that are resurrect things that are already alive. God resurrects dead things, things that seem like it has no life. That's where God's resurrection power comes. That's where his power comes into our life. That we need to recognize there's an order. There's a simple order that things have to die before they're resurrected. You know, even this past week, I've heard from a few of you have a difficult week this week. And I'm guessing that this is not the only people. I feel like a lot of people have gone through that. Maybe this week, maybe what's earlier, maybe this, during this past year, that things have been difficult. Maybe things in your life feel like they have no life. They feel like they're dead. It could be your faith. It could be your relationships. It could be things that are going on in the economy. It could be whatever is going on in your life. We have to see that when we experience loss, when we experience death, that that's when God can come and to bring resurrection. God brings resurrection, but he only resurrects things that have died. And there's loss when you die. There's mourning when you die. There's unbelief happening here in this death story. Yet God can come and bring resurrection. And I believe that God wants to offer us to experience that today. On this Easter Sunday, he wants us to experience resurrection power. What in your life needs resurrecting? What in your life do you feel like you need the Holy Spirit to come and to bring new life, to bring transformation, to bring a resurrection, to bring about new life? What in your life do you need the Lord to come in? Let's bring that to him today. Let's come and experience the risen Christ, that he conquered death and the grave, that nothing was too much for him, that he had victory over the death and the grave, that nothing else could overcome. You can experience resurrection today.